I felt like if a second century Christian came and was in our church, uh, in an Orthodox church, that it would be different, but it wouldn't be unrecognizable. Whereas I found that, like, when in, at least in my experience in Protestant churches, if we feel like something's not working or we get an in inspiration that something is different than we thought it was, we'll just start a new church. And so we're always leaving each other and changing things. Okay, welcome everyone to the Orthodox Christian Podcast. My name is Max, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing uh, Robin Hawthorne. If you've watched the channel previously, uh, we've interviewed uh, Robin's husband, Chris, uh, Deacon Chris Hawthorne, uh, but today we have the pleasure of speaking with Robin. So for those listening or watching Robin, why don't you take a second to tell us who you are and what you spend your time doing? Yeah, so I am um, a lot of things. I am a business owner, so some kind of things that way. I do a lot of like bookkeeping and executive assistant kind of roles. I volunteer at the church as the treasurer and uh, I have two kids and my husband and I, in my spare time, I do some like fiber related crafts. So cross stitch and knitting and I'm trying to learn to spin thread, but that's pretty hard for me <laughs> and uh, weaving and things like that and then reading and stuff like that. So that's about it. Awesome. So I know that you didn't grow up in the Orthodox Church. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your religious background, what you were raised with, and leading up to the point where you encountered uh, Orthodox Christianity. Okay. So I um, I was raised uh, starting out in the Alliance Church, the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. Uh, my dad was a pastor when I was born. But uh, he wasn't a pastor about the time I was probably six months old. So uh, he just found that pastoring wasn't really kind of his calling for him. And then um, so he so then he moved away and started doing kind of construction stuff. So I grew up then in a Alliance church when I was younger and then moved to a Mennonite church, which is actually my dad's background from when he was a kid. And uh, I think I was baptized in the Mennonite church when I was 14, I think, something like that, somewhere in there. And then um, I graduated and moved away and found it really difficult to connect. I mean, throughout my whole kind of growing up experience, I found it very difficult to connect to other people in the church. Um, and it didn't really feel like I belonged. And then um, when I moved into Kelowna, I also didn't find kind of a place to fit. And so uh, the people I worked with were super friendly, but totally not Christian at all. And so I kind of, I never stopped believing in God, but I had a hard time living as a Christian just because it was just just like the people you spend your time with as much as my morals and stuff didn't change my ability to resist temptation or like going along with things was difficult. So it's just hard to be the person that's always like, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so that was like three years. And so then I left there and then went to YWAM in Australia, which for people that don't know, it's called youth with mission. It's a, non-denominational non kind of charismatic event, kind of Protestant kind of thing. And uh, while I was there, I found like sense of belonging and community probably for the first time in my life as like Christians. And that was really great. And I also found that all of kind of the head kind of knowledge that I had as like a Mennonite uh, kind of became integrated with like a more experiential, like feeling like I met God, like encountered him. Um, not that I felt like I hadn't encountered God before. It was just that it was more like integration, I guess. Felt like two halves of 
of a coin and kind of like got put together. And so that was good. And, uh, but there were certain things that I was like, uh, you know, like this charismatic thing, like it felt like it went too far. It jettisoned some kind of thing, or it felt like the charismatic church kind of felt like it didn't value just like things that are just true. Like, like in the charismatic church, if you don't like feel things, then it's sometimes it feels like, well, God's not really with you. Whereas in the Mennonite church, God's always with you. It's like, it's just like statement of fact, like, and so, uh, so I found that kind of difficult to kind of integrate that, like, and anyway, when I got back, I started going to um, a vineyard church in Langley. Um, and that's where I met Chris. Actually, I started going there because I met Chris. So, uh, and um, then we got married. And then we kind of went through like this big kind of like Chris and I have always been. I mean, one of the reasons I married Chris was. Like we met online. And so, so I, uh, on my online dating profile, I'd put like, okay, I just don't contact me unless you're serious about your faith and you're a Christian. And I had all these weird people contacting me that were not Christians. I'm like, I don't know if you guys can read and I don't want to marry someone I can't read. So like, <laughs> so anyway, and they missed the point anyway. But so I met Chris and like his kind of like the centrality of like, faith as being like the anchor of his life and I felt like that was what I wanted and so like together we did like lots of reading and we're always kind of talking about theological things although Chris is more of the like heavy theological reading especially like the really technically things because I can read about two pages and I'm like okay I'm done I'm good probably good for about a month so uh but he talks to me and we talk about things so um but we were reading and all sorts of like charismatic theology kind of stuff. And we had like a Bible study that we ran and anyway, so, but like we had a bunch of miscarriages one year and there'd been a few years of just like trying to figure out like why we were going to church. Like it felt like, there wasn't anything being said that was new or relevant, maybe. I don't know how to explain it. It felt very, I mean, as a Protestant, you'd say, I felt really dry in my spiritual life. And so, uh, but we felt like it was really important to go to church. We just didn't know why. By then, we had kind of two kids. And... Um, one was, I think, well, yeah, about the time we got married, uh, the vineyard church in Langley kind of had a crisis and a bunch of people that we invited to the, to our wedding were like on two sides of the crisis, but we were oblivious. I mean, not oblivious. We knew that things were going, we just didn't care. So like, if you want to come to our wedding and sit next to someone that you are having trouble with, then, you know, by all means. So, uh. And we had lots of fun. So, but because of that, we didn't know where we were fitting because we didn't belong on either side. And so we ended up going to like three churches for a little while and um, trying to figure out just where things fit. And uh, anyway, so uh, do you want me to get into like why, like, why we started looking at orthodoxy like well i think it'd probably be helpful yeah yeah before moving to that uh stage if you gave us a brief illustration of almost a day in the life of mennonite church or uh the alliance church mennonite church uh this charismatic and that could be at ywam and at the vineyard because those i would imagine both fall under a similar umbrella of being charismatic yeah. so just to help people understand what those different what faith communities like. actually meant practically in terms of their worship, but also for your uh, faith outside of the church at that time. Yeah. So I would say that, I mean, I went to a Baptist church when I was in Kelowna. Um, and 
when I was going to the Baptist church in Kelowna, it occurred to me that I could not figure out what the differences were between, I mean, the Alliance church was when I was quite young, so I don't remember too much about their teaching. Um, although I did go to their youth group later and I couldn't tell you the differences theologically between the Alliance church, the Mennonite church and the Baptist church for sure. Um, I know that they probably had slight differences in their statement of faith, but when it came down to actually what was taught on Sundays, I mean, it's basically the same kind of idea of like kind of 30 minutes of worship. So songs and they all sang the same songs generally. And then, and then like an hour, uh, sermon maybe. And then, uh, and then there was like Bible studies where different times uh, it was, I mean, most of the Bible studies I went to were kind of like congregationally led. So it wasn't like we had a pastor or someone who had any kind of biblical training. It was kind of like us teaching ourselves. So sometimes you'd have different members of the group would take turns kind of teaching things. But um yeah, and so uh, those ones, I mean, I'd say that it was about living a moral life, doing the right things, believing the right things, uh, you know, um, like generally, like kind of good things like, you know, give to the poor, uh love God, but like, it's very hard for me to remember exactly kind of specific things, but um, the charismatic churches are like YWAM and then the vineyard. And then the other church we went to um, is very much like kind of like free form in that, you know, you're led a lot by your feelings. If you read something in the Bible and you feel like, God's talking to you, you kind of be like, oh, God's telling me that this verse means this. Um, and you would pray and wait for, you know, for yourself to like feel like you heard from God. And then you would share that with other people. I had, uh, I think probably one of the most difficult, well, actually, I'll, I'll tell an example of like something great that happened or interesting maybe that happened in the charismatic church which was like um i did feel really close to god um but uh a lot of it is centered around kind of like how you feel so if you feel close to god then things are good and if you don't feel close to god then you feel lost um but my mennonite background kind of helped mitigate that a little bit because uh i never felt like god wasn't there I just felt like there was something wrong with me. <laughs> of course, even in the Mennonite church, I kept like, I think I recommitted my life to God like every couple of years because I'd realize that like, you know what? I love God more now than I did two years ago when I you know, became a Christian or whatever. I mean, I've been a Christian ever since I could remember having any thoughts about it. So, um, so, so that's like, but it, there's a lot of emphasis on like, personal decisions to follow God. And so it's like, well, I meant it when I said it two years ago, but I don't really think I knew what I was talking about. So I better do it again. And I did that like probably at least three times. Um, and then one day I just decided that like, this was probably the way life works. It's like, as you become closer to God, you feel like whatever you were doing years ago wasn't, didn't count or something. And so I decided that I would probably just like, trust that it was okay. But it was definitely like, there's such an emphasis on like personal decision stuff that it's, that became a, it was difficult for me. Um, and yeah, so, so like one time in worship in a charismatic church, I'd never really cared about having kids or getting married. Um, Cause I just wasn't, interested. I thought I'd be a bad mom. That was part of it. But um, I also 
just, I just didn't, wasn't super boy crazy or anything. And so like, it was like, well, if I get married, I get married. And if I don't, I don't, that's fine. Anyway, one day in worship, I was really overcome by this feeling of like, oh, I really want to get married all of a sudden out of the blue. That was the first time I ever felt like that. And I remember asking God, like, hey, God, am I going to get married? Like, I'd really like to get married. And I felt like God said, oh, you'll get married soon. And I was like, really a little bit perturbed because I was like, uh, God, what does that even mean? Because, you know, you said Jesus was coming back soon and it's been a long time. Like, so I didn't feel like I had any kind of, I mean, I assumed that it wouldn't be 2000 years before I got married. But um, so that was one of those times where I still to this day, I'm like, well, that was interesting. Like, I don't know where I feel like God talked to me in that moment. And there's been a few moments like that, but like only maybe four in my whole life, like where I felt like very deeply the presence of God. And like, I just knew that like, it wasn't some kind of deception. It was like the grace of God entered my life. And so those things, and I mean, they happened in my life even before I joined the charismatic church. So it wasn't like it was specific to the charismatic church, but the charismatic church emphasizes that kind of thing and kind of expects that experience to be very regular. So that would be a difference between the two. Um, and uh, so, so then that was kind of, the charismatic church then like later when we were having trouble keeping pregnant, staying pregnant, uh, we went to this uh, school of prophecy where, you know, to get prayed for. And one lady, one lady said that the reason I couldn't keep my babies was because there was generational sin, which if you know anything about the charismatic church is like, there's a, sometimes this thing it's called like generational thing. So like my great grandmother, did or said something against God. And, and that's why I can't get pregnant or can't stay pregnant. So that's why my babies are dying. And right away, I was like, I just don't believe it. I just don't believe that's true. And, and like, thought like, if you've just miscarried, like, that's really not what you want to hear. It's your fault because you haven't repented for your grandmother's sin, like that you didn't even know about. Like, it's just, it seems like you're tying yourselves up in knots to, kind of I don't know. Just do weird things. Anyway, so that was my like that's like the negative aspect of the of what I found in the charismatic church. Um and a few things like that around my pregnancies happened. But I mean I had Mennonite people telling me all sorts of crazy things too. So uh things like, well you know, God must have known there was something wrong with the babies. That's why they died. Like, well yeah, but he could heal them if he wanted to too. So things that were just yeah. So I, that was kind of, nobody had a good answer for uh, the suffering that I experienced during that year. So that was probably part of things that kind of started like making things, giving me questions that I didn't have answers to. Does that answer that question? Yeah, I think so. So it sounds like throughout the earlier stages, you were pretty involved in church. You went to some different denominations and were exploring things there. And then it wasn't really until uh, you were married to Chris and having trouble um, having children that it it was a, a turning point for you. And yeah. part of the reason it sounds like for the turning point was um, these premature interpretations that were given of why this was happening and that yeah. those weren't satisfactory. Is yeah. that accurate yeah yeah like my personal experience in my relationship with god during my miscarriages was more like god was always there with me and suffered with me like there wasn't like an answer and um the thing that really like made a difference wasn't anything that anyone could say but like I'd been living a Christian my whole life, so I had like thoughts about God and suffering, um, and just had discussed things. So I had like head knowledge of like, well, you know, 
God doesn't, um, God doesn't cause suffering. Like I, I feel like he doesn't cause suffering, but he allows it. And there's a difference there, but it wasn't, that doesn't make me feel better. The thing that made me feel better was actually just being with God. And nobody can kind of give you that experience. Nobody, nobody can tell you those things. Um, and so sometimes in the effort to like find an answer for why we give answers that don't work and that it just don't make sense. Like, and so in my miscarriages, God was with me, suffering with me. And that was enough. That was, that was enough. It didn't make the suffering go away and it, uh, but it, it transforms it into a way that didn't really have an answer for, and I couldn't find, you know, answers around me that helped me understand the experiences I was having. Right. So, so when, when people say that, you know, you miscarried because God knew there was something wrong with them, that doesn't answer the question of like, well, why was something wrong with them in the first place? You know? Uh, and if, if it's like, well, there's a generational curse, well, how can God punish you for something you didn't even know that you had? And you've been trying to repent your whole life up to now and be a good Christian, but it wasn't enough. And you have to find this like mystery hidden thing that like, like you're investigating why your plumbing is not working and you have to go find that leak that you didn't know about, but you actually have no way. It's not like plumbing because you can't follow the pipe. It's like this mysterious thing. So these, neither one of those kinds of answers really solve any kind of problem. It was really just encountering God that solves the problem and solves the problem in a way that doesn't give you an answer necessarily. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it allows you to, to keep going and it gives you a sense of hope and, and direction amidst that confusion and difficulty, but it's not a, intellectual answer where you say oh yes now i see it's like this math equation one plus one equals two of course so yes. you got to that place where it was um difficult and it sounds the answers or the the way forward offered uh through suffering from the charismatic church that you're part of it sounds like wasn't satisfactory so then what was it that transpired that led to the orthodox church yeah, so it wasn't until a little bit later. So I had a friend become Orthodox and I went to her chrismation and I thought it was really weird. I didn't have any boxes for any of the things in the Orthodox Church. And uh, she wasn't very good at answering the question because I think for her, it was an intuitive thing where she had a bunch of questions and encountering the Orthodox Church solved and answered those questions. But my questions weren't her questions, uh, or I didn't have questions that the Orthodox Church could answer at the time, or I didn't think that the Orthodox Church could answer it at the time. So, um, so, so I thought it was really weird because, like, uh, like, I was like, why would she join the Orthodox Church? They don't even let women become priests. Like, and they have all these like rules that make no sense. They're just arbitrary, like all sorts of assumptions on my part. Um, and so I didn't get it. And I swore, I swore to Chris, I would never become Orthodox. <laughs> so that was, was a good lesson in humility in a few areas because later, of course, I became Orthodox. And I realized that what I thought I knew about the Orthodox Church wasn't anywhere near close to what I learned about the Orthodox Church. Um, but I think probably five years after she became Orthodox, or maybe seven even, uh, the problems that kind of existed or the questions that were building up as Chris and I tried to live a good life, loving God, uh, they just kept getting kind of more. We just kind of added problems, added questions that we couldn't quite answer um, until some of the questions were, I think two main questions were, why do we go to church? And um, for me, I had started reading a bunch of stuff about women in church 
where women fit and the relationships between men and women. And I became quite feminist for some time. I mean, I think I'd always kind of defaulted thinking I was feminist. Um, but one day Chris had come back from a Bible study that he'd gone to and he was like, I had this really weird conversation where we were talking about like male headship and how, uh, you know, men spouses, the husbands have like the ultimate like veto card. So like, yeah, you discuss things, you try to figure out what your wife wants, but like ultimately men get to stay and they have like this veto card. He said, and I thought that was ridiculous. And I thought, well, I believe in male headship. What does that even mean? I don't even know what I think that means. I'm so confused. So I started doing a bunch of reading, which I probably did probably like, I'm going to say like at least a year or two reading kind of feminists or not even feminists. Some was feminists. Like it was all Christian perspective stuff on what it means to be a woman in the church and relationships between the sexes and that kind of stuff. And the kind of end result was that I decided I went, there's kind of two parts. One thing was that I decided that, uh, Everybody was doing their best to try and understand what God wanted or thought of the relationships between the sexes and the roles of men and women in the church. But they all came to very different conclusions, even though they all felt that the Holy Spirit was leading them to those conclusions. So that was one part of it. The other part was that um, I found that... Uh, being like a card-carrying feminist and reading about feminism had this unintended consequence of starting to view the world that in that anything that didn't go well was because um, I was a woman and the world was slighting me because I was a woman. Not because I had a bad attitude or because I wasn't very good at something, but just specifically like, and um, thank God I realized that earlier on, so I didn't destroy a bunch of relationships, but, uh, I didn't like that. But it's like, if, if the way the discussion goes ends up being very self-centered and like kind of always looking at for problems and ascribing those problems specific set of answers and assuming that the answers to those difficulties are always you know patriarchy or something that that seemed like a kind of destructive path so so i didn't like that and um but i still didn't know i still didn't know what men and women and the church were all about so uh then um, meanwhile, Chris was reading a bunch of books and would every once in a while say, did you know the Orthodox Church thinks this? And I would say, oh, well, I think that. And he's like, well, do you really? Because just this week in church, we were singing this song and this song says this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess. we. Well, I guess I don't really believe that song, I guess, because that's not really what I think. I don't really think that song. So so then that, you know, created... <laughs> Still didn't answer our question about church. We were started asking all our friends, why do we go to church? We think it's important about so, all sorts of answers. And then that added to our problem because everyone had a different answer for why we go to church. And, uh, but meanwhile, my friend who'd become Orthodox, uh, who had been married and was missionarying in Africa came back and, um, we had them over for dinner and we were asking. And so I said, well, why do we go to church? And, uh, and the husband said, well, because we worship God, we go to church to worship God. And I thought, wow, like that seems self-evident. And yet that's the first time anyone said that. And he was Orthodox. So then, you know, they were back from Africa. And so we started to ask them all sorts of theological questions. And they just consistently had answers that seemed to be good answers, answers that solved the problems. And so, so that kind of got us kind of going there. And so, I mean, I did a whole bunch of separate reading about women in orthodoxy 
and why there aren't women in the priesthood and like I started like kind of why is the church like why is the orthodox church the call itself like the one church and what does that mean and what do they mean by it and found that like it was very uh it's very practical in the sense that like the orthodox church seemed to be the only church that tried to keep the thing they were given so you can trace the the bishops all the way back to the apostles and it's recorded and uh the teaching like uh things have changed i mean we use different language than the original church we you know maybe things are in different order maybe our liturgy is a little bit longer or arranged a little differently we use slightly different words or whatever but like i felt like if a second century Christian came and was in our church, uh, in an Orthodox church that it'd be different, but it wouldn't be unrecognizable. Whereas I found that like, when in, at least in my experience in Protestant churches, if we feel like something's not working or we get an inspiration that something is different than we thought it was, we'll just start a new church. And so we're always leaving each other and changing things. And I mean, even the Catholic church with uh, things like Vatican II and stuff, like you, they've changed things so that things, so a Christian 500 years ago might not be a good standing Catholic today. And so then that, was concerning right so because i had this question of like well if everyone thinks that they're trying to find out what men and women are supposed to do do and be in the church and they're coming to radically different conclusions then like uh how do i know who's right like i can't i can't decide these things for myself like it's not like well then i'll just look into my heart and then find what the holy spirit's saying to me and then i'll just pick how do I know that I'm not just going to pick the one that I like the best? You know, how do I know, you know, that I'll end up somewhere? And like, I felt like where I ended up should be something that challenges me and challenges my con conceptions about something rather than uh, if I always agree with everything, then am I really growing? Do I know God? How do I know God? Like all those kinds of questions. And so, so the Orthodox Church gave me this idea that like, that maybe out there somewhere, there was like, like an incarnational reality. So like, when I say incarnational, I mean, like, Christ of the incarnation is like, God becomes man, like flesh and bone and blood and like, touchable, right? And the Orthodox Church brought history with it throughout time so that it was touchable. Whereas in my Protestant circles, it felt like it was more a philosophy. And so it's not embodied. In fact, one thing that was surprising was when I started learning about Orthodox theology, all of a sudden it occurred to me that Christ was still incarnate and still had a body. And I don't think that the Protestant churches I was part of ever specifically taught one way or the other, but because it was so mental, such a mental exercise, I had just defaulted to a position where I didn't conceptualize Christ as, as still embodied. He was more like a spirit, like he'd gone from being spirit with God to incarnate, and then he died, and then when he rose again, he was spirit again. So like the body was not part of things. But that's not how the Bible talks about it. And so uh, so that was just another kind of like layer of, of how I could decide to join the Orthodox Church because I didn't want to join something that was just like just a different kind of thing. I mean, even when we were trying to figure out before Orthodoxy, when we were trying to figure out where to go to church, um, I told Chris, I said, well, it doesn't matter to me because it's all the same. Like, 
you asked about the differences between, you know, the different denominations and charismatic. Well, I found that it all is very much the same. So it's, it's sing songs and a sermon. And while the churches individually may believe different things, um, slightly different things on different things and emphasize different points, to me, it seemed like it was all kind of the same. Um, I could, uh, like, other than the kind of the culture of something. So a Mennonite church, you're not going to have flag waving like you do in the charismatic church. You're not going to have people just standing up and speaking out a prophecy kind of randomly or kind of saying certain things. But, but if you take kind of the, I don't know, what I would call like the embellishments away from each denomination, the core of everything was always kind of the same. And so, so didn't, I was having a hard time understanding, you know, uh, why you would go to one church over a different church. Cause it was all kind of the same for me. I mean, uh, my brother-in-law had said one time he couldn't go to a church that didn't have room for the Holy spirit. Um, and I think he was referring to things like a Mennonite church or an Alliance church or something. Um, but growing up in a Mennonite church and Alliance church, I knew that there was room for the Holy Spirit. It's just we talked about the Holy Spirit differently. The Holy Spirit's still there, just uh, doesn't manifest in the same way that it does in a charismatic church. And the charismatic church thinks that because everything's very free-flowing in certain ways, that there's room for the Holy Spirit. But um, from my perspective, it was just, well, we were just putting the Holy Spirit in a different kind of box. The box looks colorful. The Mennonite box looks very straight, you know, or whatever. But but there's still the Holy Spirit's in both places. And so so I've had a hard time kind of like, I was like, well, it's just what emphasis do you want? What culture do you want? But ultimately, it, the the core of it, you know, you become a Christian because you have a mental ascent to Christ's uh, death and resurrection. Death and resurrection is usually framed in like uh, a legal kind of framework where Christ uh, is being sacrificed instead of us to appease God's justice, which uh, doesn't end up being forgiveness. It just ends up being that someone else paid my debt, but there's no forgiveness there. Um, so then it makes God like this God that can't forgive because his justice demands a payment, which was, you know, that's kind of a universal kind of structure in most, well, in all the Protestant churches I was in. And so, so it was kind of all the same. So the Orthodox church then has a different framing for salvation, um, which I found to be much more helpful and uh, true. And so various kinds of aspects of, orthodoxy answered a bunch of different questions uh i still had like so i mean one of the big ones i've kind of talked about already was like why is the church the authority like why would i submit to the orthodox church instead of a different church and um and ultimately it did come back to like the embodiment of of the church how it had continuity and and uh we're trying to keep the faith that was delivered to us by christ and not assume that because we don't understand something that's been passed to us, that must be wrong and we should jettison it. So the Orthodox Church is expansive, right? So some people find um, different prayers from the Orthodox Church to be very helpful and other people will find those same prayers to be not helpful, but we don't just throw out the prayers because they don't help me, right? They're, they're there for other people that need those prayers. And, um, and everything kind of links together. Things make sense uh, in a more cohesive way, but not in a, uh, what do you call it? Like in a systematic kind of like, in the, uh, one of the churches I went to is quite reformed and it's kind of like a new reform kind of thing where, you know, everything's very logical. <laughs> and so like, there's always an answer to everything which I found to be difficult because there's not any mystery. And if, if we have a system that explains all the actions of God, 
do we really know God? Because God's got to be bigger than that. And so in the Orthodox Church, there's lots of things where you can kind of go so far or like you have different metaphors that are like, there's a metaphor that's like over here and a metaphor that's over here and there's over here. And they all kind of point to something, but it's super hard to actually talk about the thing because it's it's outside of our ability to understand it. So, so in Orthodox church, there's more of that and more room for that. And, and so then there's this continual expanse of like, you're always able to learn things, but at the same time, it's um, not, you don't need to be super intellectual and be reading all these books about these really difficult concepts or something, because ultimately like loving God looks like simple things like, um, you know, have I loved my enemies? You know, have I forgiven people? Like, uh, sometimes your whole life could be just spent trying to forgive one person and you feel like you're not making very much progress and sometimes you don't want to forgive them. But like, if that's the only thing you did trying to be a good Christian, you know, God sees that and knows like God's mercy is, is like big enough for those kinds of things. So you don't have to know, you know, what the Trinity is or explain it because if you're just doing the little things, you know, that's, that's the part where you're growing towards God. Like being able to explain the Trinity doesn't change your relationship to God in so far as just like knowing something, right. Knowing it's like kind of coming right. back to that thing I was talking about with the suffering, right. Knowing the answers to why maybe people suffer doesn't actually fix the problem of suffering, right? The thing that fixes the problem of suffering is the encounter with God. And so trying to forgive someone requires an encounter with God. And so the little things bring us closer to God. And I mean, maybe for some people, like a lot of theological study and, and thinking about those very difficult theological issues helps them in their knowing of God, but there's still underneath those, the knowledge things, there's a, there's a knowing relational aspect that, that has to be there. Otherwise it's just ideas. And then it becomes a philosophy, just like anything else. So. Right. Okay. So let me, let me try to summarize and see if you think it's accurate. So uh, yeah. for the Protestant churches that you're part of, one of the things you noticed, well, there, there were these problems that came up, various problems. So one of the problems was, why do we go to church? One of the problems was, what does it mean uh, for, uh, to be a woman in, in church and as a, a Christian, are the different roles associated with that? Um, and, and there were some other problems that you mentioned. But when you investigated those problems, there were a multiplicity of answers in the Protestant world. And what you found was that each uh, person answering those questions was doing it from a heartfelt position. It's not like they were doing it from a devious or malevolent perspective. And yet the uh, conclusions that they found were uh, varied. So that's one thing. And also in your experience that they were sometimes unsatisfactory. So two problems there. And so then it made you ask sort of a bigger question about um, maybe, and you didn't use these exact words, but maybe there's something wrong with the actual way we're answering these questions. There's something yeah. systematically off here. And it sounded like the um, reason for that, that you arrived at was these answers often were just in the clouds, but they weren't uh, driving down into a concrete reality. There wasn't that connection. And with the Orthodox church, you found that when you explored these same issues in terms of how the church is claiming to be the true church or what it means to be a woman in the church, that it had some sort of concrete reality that it was connecting with that was satisfactory. It didn't necessarily explain every single thing, but it gave you a way forward that was actually helpful in your walk with Christ in terms of being a Christian. And that you didn't make this connection, but I think it might be valid in terms of the Protestant churches that you were part of didn't place a continuing emphasis on Christ's incarnation, that he truly became a human, and that while the resurrected body is different than the just natural quote-unquote body that he had, there's um, changes there where it's kind of mysterious. Nevertheless, he does have a human body 
um, that's in this elevated state and he retains that. And so I thought that was kind of interesting because within Orthodox theology, that's the case. And then within the answers that it was giving, it maintained sort of that concrete reality that was grounded with the heavenly perspective, as it were. So those things yeah. were integrated. And then you found that within the Protestant churches, those things uh, just weren't properly associated. And one of the things that reminds me of, I've been listening a little bit to Matthew Peugeot, who's the brother of Jonathan Peugeot, and he wrote this book about cosmic uh, symbolism in Genesis. And he talks about sort of the, the, the big theme of scripture. And I mean, this isn't him that's coming up with this, but that heaven and earth meet. And yeah. obviously we see that in the incarnation. You have Christ, who is God, the second person in the Trinity becoming a real human. And those realities meet. And that um, in the original creation account, you have Adam who's naming the animals. So he's got these sort of categories that he's bringing down. And then you've got Eve that's able to listen to the serpent. And she has this interaction with the created order. And mm -hmm. with, between the two of them, they're, they're kind of bringing the earth. Like mm -hmm. the snake is like the very lowest thing. It's like the earthly yeah. perspective. He's able to understand that. And then you've got Adam naming the animals. So you've got the connection there as well. And that kind of goes throughout scripture. Obviously, Christ is the one that yeah. brings that together to the fullest extent. So it's just interesting that um, the different churches' perspectives on uh, the incarnation and how that uh, continues or discontinues in the case of um, certain uh, strands of Christianity really affects how they then answer these problems that come up and these questions that that come up. So um, I kind of went off on a bit of a theological reflection there. But would you say that that was yes, that's correct yeah. in, in your sense? Yeah, that's exactly it. And so, I mean, a lot of things that when, like a lot of the questions I had are answered by that concept, the concept of like heaven and earth actually meeting. Um, Father Stephen Freeman has a book, I um, can't remember what it's called, but where he talks about uh, like one story universes versus two story universes. So like in the Protestant world, there's like, there's our level and then there's a heavenly level, right? And they, they kind of operate as separate spaces. Whereas in the Orthodox world, they're integrated. And so there's a single story where heaven is permeating all of our, our daily life. And, um, but I mean, the one thing I have to say about like coming out of a Mennonite background and then into a charismatic background, um, uh, integrated kind of the mystical that you find in the charismatic and the kind of grounded um, things are true because they're true. Like God says it, it's true kind of thing um, together into like, or like a rational with a mystical maybe is probably better. Um, and in the orthodoxy, it's kind of integrated. It's not one or the other. They're, they're very integrated. And so, uh, so that was nice because I felt like God brought me through the charismatic church so that I would have a, a shelf to put different things from orthodoxy on. And so, um, but like the, the incarnational aspect of things like with the icons and the saints, like questions that a lot of Protestants have, including me was like, well, why icons and why saints and uh, the, the ever virginity of Mary, uh, you know, and I mean, we already talked about church authority and, and a lot of those questions are very much answered by an incarnational understanding of, of Christianity where, where the things matter, right? The things, so uh, the saints are here because death isn't the end. And when you're joined to Christ, then we're all joined to Christ. So like, uh, you can't, you can't be dead in Christ. And so, so you, your body dies, but you're still with Christ and everyone's awaiting the, the final resurrection where then all of our bodies will be like Christ's resurrected body, but we'll still have bodies, right? Like, and, uh, and it's, and the earth will be renewed, but it's not going to be like, it's not like this earth is disposable, you know, just because Christ can renew it. We've been given it to be, be stewards. And so like, it's, it's integrated. It's, and 
you know, it means something to be a woman and it means something to be a man. The bodies that we were given matter. And, uh, and then how we represent things in those bodies matter. And so um, some people were very surprised when me as a feminist became an Orthodox because just like I had been like, well, you know, they don't allow women to be priests. Um, it's just that I found that like, there's no, I mean, in a lot of Protestant churches, most of them, there's no sacramental reality. And so baptism is a symbol. The Eucharist is a symbol, uh, but they're not actually, they, they mean symbol in something that like, it points at something, but it isn't that thing. Whereas in orthodoxy, symbol means that something is, is a, it represents that thing. Like, uh, or it is that thing, like, it's kind of, it is that thing, but it's not that thing, right? Like, if you have an icon of of Christ, and Christ himself is standing there, you're not going to pick the icon over Christ. But if Christ isn't there, the icon is Christ, is our way of connecting to Christ uh, in a way that, like, just like your picture of your grandmother, right? Or picture of your spouse. I mean, when you go off to war, you bring your wife with you in a picture and you don't want to lose that picture. You don't want the picture to be like torn or disfigured because that is your way of being with your wife who's far away. And so like that kind of incarnational kind of reality of things in the Orthodox Church is like, it affects everything like, and, and it was you know like one of the main kind of things is that i felt like if someone's going to tell me who jesus is so that i can actually encounter christ uh in a community then it's going to be the orthodox church because that's the one that has a deep incarnational understanding of that kind of stuff so yeah 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 that that's helpful and so for um, those two issues that you originally mentioned about the Orthodox Church being the the true church, and as well as the the feminism side in terms of the different roles or unique um, benefits or uh, strengths that men and women have. Um, it sounds like the answer that you had for the first one about the church being true was looking at the continuity throughout time. Mm -hmm. it sounds kind yeah. of like that that was what satisfied you and then with the other one about the different roles that men and women have uh where did you wind up on that so what's your sense now of like men and women and how they're different and unique so that would probably be a whole other podcast if i went into all the detail but right. um summary form <laughs> but in the very summary form uh is that the priesthood represents Christ in the church and is the icon of Christ in the church. And Christ was male. And so the priesthood needs to be male. And that's a very simple kind of easy way. Um, but that doesn't, uh, priests in the church operate in a different way than pastors do in Protestant churches in that priests are there to serve. Uh, they're, they're there to give us the sacraments and to perform the services. Uh, and uh, the bishops assign them to the parishes and assign them away from the parishes if things go bad. Uh, when things are working correctly, uh, the priest is the one that gets sacrificed for the sake of the community. Um, and so it's, it's a unique role in the Orthodox Church that I haven't personally found an experience of outside of the Orthodox Church. And so um and so they're not i mean you can get like celebrity orthodox pastors but even celebrity orthodox pastors are not super celebrities <laughs> and, uh, and and if you get mad at your celebrity orthodox pastor it's not like the liturgy changes like you're you can go to a orthodox church and your pastor can be kind of a disappointment uh, or your priest and your pastor can be kind of a disappointment, but it doesn't change the fact that when you're in the liturgy, you're encountering, encountering God, uh, you know, 
wherever you go. And so, uh, so the, the, the fact that like in, in the Protestant circles, all the stuff I was reading about women was like, women just wanted like an equal cut in the glory of being like the head of the church, which I also found very difficult, even before the Orthodox church, I found that very difficult to be like, it seems like, like, it's not, it didn't seem to me to be the way Christ wants us to, to live where Christ, you know, didn't think equality with God was something to be grasped, but became the servant of all. Right. And I thought women have been given such an amazing, like opportunity to be humble servants of all and not even tempted with this, like, Hey, you could be this pastor and like, it'll ruin your spiritual life, but you'll feel good. Like, uh, and, and not to say that like, women should be mistreated or anything or anybody should be mistreated but like as a person like as for me and my own like salvation i thought thank god that like i don't have to worry about becoming like a bishop and maybe a patriarch uh because i think that would be really difficult to stay humble you'd be you know and so so i think it's a cross you have to bear uh, and seeing the priesthood as like a cross uh, instead of as like, like it's both, I don't know. In orthodoxy, there's things that are like both and. So I'm probably not explaining it very well. But anyway, uh, the, and women have a role and like, it doesn't happen very often, but women can teach in church. Like all these weird gymnastics that you have to play in the Protestant church where, you know, you can't have a woman pastor because in the Bible, it says that you can't have a woman pastor. Uh, but uh, pastors are basically just teachers. And so what we're saying is that women can't teach. So if you, I've even asked a Protestant pastor one time, I said, so like if a plane carrying a bunch of Christians like crash landed in some outback space and they set up their own little community and there was a woman on board who had done like years of theological study and knew and had this great relationship with God was like an upstanding like woman of God and all the dudes were like kind of just new baby Christians or whatever what we're saying is that the church that they set up has to be led by one of the new baby Christians and then the pastor was like yeah <laughs> and I was like that doesn't make any sense <laughs> so like things like that things like that aren't a problem in the Orthodox church because you, you know, you just, women can teach if the woman has been like, you have all these saints who they're saints simply because they raised like amazing Christian people, like, and, uh, and they taught them. And, and so like, there's, there's a lack of the weird gymnastics that you have to do in the Protestant circles because of the way the Orthodox Church is set up, that kind of just doesn't even, like all the questions are kind of become a little bit irrelevant, at least. So anyway, that was an answer to my questions about women in the church. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I think that's helpful for people to know so that in Orthodoxy, it is unique in the sense that only guys can become priests. However, that doesn't imply that women are barred from teaching because uh, when I was going to an Orthodox school in Toronto, there were female professors there. I've been to Orthodox parishes where they'll have women that will give lectures at um, like special events and as to the whole congregation. So there's nothing uh, preventing women from teaching in a, in a practical sense or taking that kind of leadership position. It's just more that in the role of the liturgy and the actual service, you have guys that are um, the priests in that setting. Yeah, and and um, yeah, like the easy answers because they're the icons of Christ, and so you, you don't want right. to have a. Yeah, I mean, we could get into all that symbolism, but that'll have to be a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, fair enough. So, um, if I'm going to move, there's kind of usually ask about any issues or like challenges that you had in joining the Orthodox Church. It it sounds like maybe some of these were what you were wrestling with and came to conclusions on. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else in terms of the challenges that you want to mention before moving to the last question? 
Yeah. So, um, my one challenge with the Orthodox Church or joining the Orthodox Church was I didn't want to join a church just because it seemed like, you know, like you meet a guy and you're like, oh, I love him. And you're like super infatuated. And, but you don't know if that's going to last. Right. And so when I was so happy to be finding answers in the Orthodox Church and some, you know, some answers took a lot longer to kind of figure out, like, do I really like what the Orthodox Church thinks about saints and icons and can I get behind that and stuff? And, um, but one of the things that was really important to me was, was to see the dark underbelly of the Orthodox Church before I became Orthodox. And so the best place to find the dark underbelly of anything is to go onto the internet. And so I joined a, a Facebook group, which was actually of all the Facebook groups on the internet was probably the nicest Orthodox Facebook group. And uh, encountered someone there that was quite a special character. And I think he got objected from the group from our conversation and which was about women and Mary in the church. And um, and I was like, okay, I feel like I've seen some stuff. And so now I feel like I can join the Orthodox Church because I realized that like, I just wanted to, I knew intellectually that there was like, people are going to be people and so you'll have sinners in the church, hopefully, because I mean, I'm a sinner, but like, you want to <laughs> want to kind of encounter it and be like, yeah, okay, I'm still okay with this, you know, and um, and that was part of one of the things that I had to check off my list before I could like join the Orthodox Church was I just needed to encounter some nasty people. Just and could you give sort of a, a generalized postcard sketch of that kind of person? Like what? Okay. The, so yeah. yeah. So someone who thinks that they have all the answers and is super disparaging to everyone else and, uh, just kind of like exhibits a lot of the opposite of the fruits of the spirit, you know, and claims to be like unauthentic, like, like I represent the Orthodox church and this is the way it is. And very like kind of legalistic, hard nose. Uh, he, this particular person I encountered actually said things that like the moderators of the group was like, that is not what the Orthodox church teaches. <laughs> And, uh, so, um, but like, yeah, people that are just being kind of like jerky, um, and like, yeah, just, you know, full of themselves and, but they don't see it that way. Right. And, and so you have to like encounter them because you'll deal with those people. Right. And sometimes you'll be that person and you just need to kind of, that was what I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's helpful. So for those people that are interested in orthodoxy and exploring it currently, maybe they're just checking some stuff out online or starting to attend a parish, um, what would be your advice to them? So um, what I learned from my own experience was um, just because the Orthodox Church may answer some of your questions, and you might be super excited that they answer your questions, don't be surprised if we talk to other people that they give you like a deer in the headlight look, like I don't understand what you're so excited about because um, we don't go looking for something until we have a question. If all of our, if everything's going fine, then we're not looking for an answer. And if, I give someone an answer to a question they don't have and to a problem they don't have, they won't understand it. And so I think uh, it took me a little while, but I learned that like me sharing all of the things, all of my problems are being solved, not all, but like, you know what I mean? Like a bunch of things I've been struggling with for years, I was finding things and they fit and they integrated and they fit with each other and like, I was like, oh, finally, I'll find a place where I feel like I can grow closer to God. Uh, and I was super excited and sharing with everybody. Uh, I learned that maybe I was oversharing. And so that would be one thing is if you're super excited, try not to overshare or be offended. That'd be the worst to be offended by people not understanding the answer um, or by people getting mad at what you have found 
because they don't have the problem. And so you try to give them an answer to a problem they don't have is it's it'll be frustrating for you and for them. That's one piece of advice. Um, the other is don't become orthodox because you think it has all the answers. Ultimately, you become orthodox because you find that that's the place where you'll be able to grow to be more like God and to meet Christ. Like, because, or, and don't become orthodox because, because it, it's culturally conservative. Um, <clears throat> because there's, there's disappointment in the Orthodox church because it's full of people and the people will disappoint you and the church will disappoint you. And if you're not there because the bigger picture gives you a path towards Christ, you'll be disappointed and, and it won't last. I don't think so. Like the center of our life has got to be Christ and and that's got to be what draws us into the Orthodox Church. And I mean, yeah, there's there's the the answers you're given, but the answers you're given or the experiences that you have and encounter in the Orthodox Church should be meaningful because they bring you to Christ, uh, not because you feel like now you uh, know better or something like that. Yeah, I think that that would be the two kind of basic things. Yeah. Well, that's a wonderful place to end it. So I wanted to thank you for your time, Robin. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you and um, hope to have you back on in the future sometime. Okay, thanks. Hey guys, thanks for checking out that episode of the Orthodox Christian Podcast. I had a lot of fun chatting with Robin. If you have one friend or family member that may benefit from this, please send the episode over to them. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. We are looking to increase the reach of the podcast. It is available on most places that podcasts are downloaded. And then, of course, the main hub is on YouTube. I'm looking to interview people about twice a week. So uh, aiming for Tuesday and Friday posts. And then as the Q&A questions come in, I'll just post those in between. So if you do have a question about Orthodox Christianity, there's a form link in the video description. And in the meantime, I hope that you have a peaceful week. Take care.